Do you recognize this guy? Mr. Mark Twain. In 1867, this man, Mark Twain, made a trip to the Holy Land of Israel and he visited the city of Shechem, where Joseph is buried. Today we're going to talk about Joseph and welcome back. It's Tuesday, 12.15 p.m. Time for lunch and learn my most exciting and best time of the week to study Torah together. Hi, Michael. Hi, Amy. Hi, everybody. Hi, Jody and Roy. Hi, everybody joining on and Nancy for our weekly Torah session of 60 minutes or so. Once we get started, today's topic is Joseph. As we just saw, Mark Twain in his book writes about his visit to the grave site, to the tomb of Joseph in the city of Shechem in the north of Israel in Samaria, Samaria, in Hebrew, Shomron, there is a city over 4,000 years old called Shechem, Ayan. And in English or in uh, Arabic, it's known as Nablus. And over there, there is the burial spot of Joseph, Yosef, one of the most famous biblical characters who we will study a bit about today and come out with some relevant lessons as we always refer to the Torah as the living Torah. The Torah should have lessons for us living thousands of years after these stories happen. And if the Torah records these stories and the details of these stories, these stories are relevant to us. Let's begin with a blessing over a cup of water. Baruch Okay. As usual, we have a source sheet. If you are on my email list, check your inbox for an attachment of a source sheet prepared specially for, t for today's lesson or on this post. There is a link to the source sheet with English sources as we usually like to do to look at the original sources <clears throat> and to delve into them, to analyze them, and to apply them to our lives. Today's lesson begins with section number one. These are four lessons that the Rebbe um, derived, the Rebbe emphasized, the Rebbe um, delved into from the life of Joseph. So we'll learn a little bit about this unique individual, this unique personality. Joseph, hi, hi Jack. Joseph was the son of Yaakov. So we have Abraham, the first Jew, his son was Yitzchak, Isaac, and his son was Yaakov, also known as Jacob, also known as Israel. Jacob had a second name, Yisrael, Israel. And Jacob has many sons. And he has one son whose name is Joseph. Joseph was the son of Jacob's wife, Rachel, Rachel, firstborn son of Rachel. So here we go with source number one. Today is Lunch and Learn number 147. It's just three, three and a half years since we began studying together almost on a weekly basis. And here we go. Feel free to comment, question below. And if we can't get to it right away, we'll get to it towards the end of class. Here we go. Joseph is a, is a very common name. My father's first name is Joseph, Yosef. We're going to try to say Yosef because that's the Hebrew pronunciation of the word, of the name. Yosef, the previous Rebbe's name, our Rebbe's father-in-law, was Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak. 
Yosef. And here we go. Source number one in our first section. Each section is another segment, another part of Joseph's story and a lesson for us. Source number one, we look into the book of Genesis, the book of Bereshis. The Torah tells us, the Torah describes Yosef. So it doesn't start from when Yosef is born, but Yosef is already born to his mother, Rachel, and his father, Jacob. Rachel passes away uh, when Yosef is just a small boy, maybe seven years old. And Yosef has... 11 brothers. Most of them, 10 of them are from a different mother. He has a younger brother, Benjamin. But Yosef is the most loved and cherished by his father Jacob, or the Torah here calls him Israel. Source number one, Israel loved Yosef more than all his sons. Because he was a son of his old age. Yaakov had waited many years for Yosef to be born. He had married Rachel, but Rachel was childless for seven years. And meanwhile, his other wife, Leah, and Bilhah and Zilpah kept having sons, kept having babies. And Rachel, finally, after many years, gave birth to a boy who Yaakov was already in his older age. So Yaakov loved Yosef. He cherished him more. It was his favorite son, more than his other sons. He made him a fine woolen coat. In some translations, it's known as the coat of many colors that Yaakov fashioned for his beloved son, Yosef. He would study privately with Yosef and pass on to him, teach him everything that he had studied more than the rest of his brothers. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, so they hated him and they could not speak with him peacefully. The brothers developed a hatred towards their brother, their half-brother Yosef. They saw that their father is giving him more attention, giving him more prizes, giving him a nice woolen coat, more that, than they, what that they received from their father. And therefore they started to hate him. And the Torah continues to describe what was going on between Yosef and his brother, how this hatred developed. Yosef had a dream about him being a king one, one day, and his brothers didn't like that, and they hated him more. And then he had a, a second dream, and they hated him even more. A couple of times the Torah emphasizes the hatred that existed between the brothers and Yosef. Probably the most intense hatred that the Torah describes in the whole Torah. We find other uh, animosities and hatreds, but not as much as the Torah emphasizes right here. One day... Source number two, Israel says to Yosef, he, call, he finishes studying with him and he tells his son, Yosef, are your brothers not pastoring in Shechem, in the city of Shechem? Come and I will send you to them. Remember, the brothers were mostly a couple years older than him. They were out already in the field taking care of the sheep. They were shepherds. They were holy men. They were tzaddikim. But uh, they devoted their time to be out there in the field and take care of the sheep. And his father, their father, tells Yosef, why don't you go check up on them? The commentaries explain what, what Israel, what Jacob was afraid of. The city of Shechem, previously there was a war between the sons of Jacob and the people of Shechem. And he was afraid for them to hang out in that area. Yosef responds to his father. Yosef said to him, here I am, he Hineni, here I am, I'm here ready to fulfill your request. 
So he said to him, Yaakov gives him a couple more details, go now and see to your brother's welfare and the welfare of the flocks and bring me back word. Go report, go and see what, what's going on. Tell them to be careful over there and report back to me. Tell me how they're doing, how the flocks are doing. And Rashi tells us, when Joseph said, here I am, he didn't just say, okay, I'll go. He said, here I am, which is a term he went with alacrity to fulfill his father's command, although he knew that his brothers hated him. Although Yosef knew, it wasn't a secret. Hello, Brian. Everyone can take a moment to share this post so others can benefit from the Torah teachings as well. Joseph responds with alacrity and he says, Father, here I am. And although Joseph knew, Yosef knew that his brothers hated him, the Torah doesn't make a secret of it, and it wasn't a secret. The Torah says the brothers cannot speak peacefully with him. Yet when his father asks Yosef to check up on his brothers far away in Shechem, where they were living then in Hebron, and to report back to him, Yosef says, yes, here I am with alacrity. Yosef is ready, even though he knew that this was a bit dangerous. And the story proves to us that it was quite dangerous. Because what ends up happening is that when Yosef arrives to his brothers in Shechem, or to a, to a city near Shechem, where, they, where he ended up locating them, they first tried, were thinking to kill him, and then they just threw him into a pit, and eventually sold him off as a slave, which, when he, where he ended up uh, in Egypt. Yosef was aware of their hatred to him. So what gave Yosef the right to put himself in danger and go check up on his brothers? He could have told his father, Dad, hey, you know that they don't like me, and uh, find somebody else. This, this is not going to work. And even if you might say Yosef was just so obedient to his father, and, and at whatever price, whatever the price, Yosef was ready to risk his life, but you're not allowed to put your life in danger just to honor your father. And especially, his father wanted a report. The main point was not just to send Yosef off, but was to get a report, to get an answer how his brothers, how his sons were doing. And if Yosef knew this is going to be dangerous and he might not return, then the purpose of the mission will not be fulfilled. He will not really be honoring his father because his father said to report back to me. As we see, the words are, bring me back word. If he was worried, he might not bring back word. Why would Yosef do this? Why would Yosef go ahead and with alacrity, as, it, as Rashi tells us, go ahead and jump up and, and, and meet his brothers in a, away from home in a dangerous spot? And to make the question stronger, uh, the Torah tells us that along the way he met a man, he didn't find his brothers actually in Shechem, where he had originally uh, thought they were, or where they were originally. A man told him, by the way, I heard your brother is plotting to kill you. And still, despite hearing that, he continued on to find them. I mean, you might say he didn't think they're actually going to hurt him, but we see what happened. Why would Yosef do this? So let's continue here with source number three, um, a, a, uh, an insight that the Rebbe provides, which brings us to a powerful lesson. Source number three, Yosef didn't call on his brothers to bring a report back to his father. They say a story of a, an older woman, 
she's reading the, the Parsha for the first time. She has a Yiddish translation. And she's reading the story of Yosef coming to his brothers, how they rip off the coat from him, the special coat, and they throw him into the pit, and they sell him off, and she's crying, and she's uh, you know, living, reliving the story. Oh, Yosef, Yosef. Bitter tears are dripping from her eyes. Okay. The next year comes. It's the same Parsha again. And she reads the story again. And this time she's, she's all mad. She says, Yosef, what's with you? Why are you going back to your brothers? Don't you remember what happened last year when you went to them? So every year we learn the story of Yosef and his brothers. But every year we, we, we take another lesson. We delve deeper, deeper into the story. Because... The story is not just a story. It's not just a piece of history. The Torah is teaching us the story because every part of the story contains eternal lessons for us. Yosef goes to his brothers. He takes this seemingly risky trip. Why? Back to source 3. Yosef didn't call on his brothers to bring a report back to his father. He was fully aware that this part of the mission may not happen. He, his father said, bring me back a report. He wasn't sure that a report will be brought back by him. Rather, his mission was the journey itself. To present himself to his brothers and thereby deliver this resounding message. When father asks to do something, you do it. Yosef knew that his brothers hated him and his brothers knew that Yosef knew that, he hate, that they hated him. It was not a secret. They could not speak peacefully. And yet... Yosef was ready to go on this mission, not to return. He, he wasn't sure he's going to return. But he did so. He went on the mission just for the sake of the mission, to be there, to show up to his brothers and say, Hey, look, I know you guys hate me, but you know why I'm here? Because our father asked me to come check up on you. What's going to happen after? We don't know. But Yosef wanted to teach them a lesson. Yosef wanted to show to them that I'm here even though it's dangerous, even though I know you guys hate me. But I took the step to come here because Father asked. Why was it important for Yosef to impart this message to them? Because Yosef, Yosef was, a, was a good boy. He was a good son. He was 17 years old at the time. His brothers were a little older. But Yosef had a lot of kibodav. He, he, he fulfilled the commandment number five to honor his, his parents. His brothers lacked in this mitzvah. As we see in Source 4, the brothers lacked respect for the father. Throughout the stories the Torah tells us about Reuven, about Shimon, Simon and Levi, uh, different things that they did that uh, they uh, mistreated Yaakov or they disrespected him, they didn't value his opinion. And the fact that they hated him, that itself was an, was an expression of the disrespect for their father. Why did they hate Yosef? Because their father loved him. Now, if they really respected their father, they would understand that there's, if he likes Yosef and he's, he's cherishing Yosef, he must see something very special in Yosef. So, let's at least let him love him. Why are we hating him as a result? They hated him. Why? Because they saw that their father loved him. That's a, that's a lack of respect for their father. And we see from the fact that they went ahead and they took Yosef, their own father's son. Maybe they didn't like him. But to take their father's son and do such some, something like that to him, throw him in a pit and sell him off as a slave, 
And for years, originally he wanted to even kill him. That's a lack of respect for their own father. To bring such pain to their father, to take away the son that was born to him in his old age, that brought him so much joy after losing his wife, Rachel, the mother of Yosef. There was obviously a lack of respect that the brothers did not have for their own father. And Yosef tried to do something about this. Continuing in source 4, Yosef desperately wanted to let them know that their behavior was reprehensible. And they really ought to respect their father much more. How? What's the best method of influencing somebody? Yosef, so he decided that instead of delivering the message to them and say, Hey, brothers, you should really honor dad. Instead of delivering the message to them, he would be the message himself. He decided he will be the message. He will demonstrate to them. Showing up to his brothers was obviously a dangerous move. And that's why he did it. For by doing so, he immediately impressed upon them that listening to dad is serious business. Obviously, this is paraphrased, but the Rebbe's words that Yosef knew. But because he saw that there was a lack, there was a decline, a deficiency in the mitzvah of honoring father, and he saw this by his brothers, in order to teach his brothers a lesson, not just to tell them the message, Yosef decided to be the message. He's going to do something. He's going to be brave. He's going to do something risky. But just by showing up there, even if you won't be able to fulfill the instruction of Jacob, their father, to report back to me, that was in question. But by showing up to them and saying, hey, I am here because our father asked me to do so. And I complied with alacrity. Source number five, Joseph teaches us by this act. You can't tell people how to live. Only when you live how you're meant to live will the rest of the world follow suit. The best way to relay the message is to be the message. What do they say? There are three rules how to lead. Rule, non, rule number one, you want to lead. You want to be a leader. You want to be an influence. You want to make an impact. You want to change the people around you. Three rules. Rule number one, lead by example. Rule number two, lead by example. And rule number three, by example. By example, by example, by example. Yosef wanted to show an example to his brothers. They also say, leaders don't tell us what to do. They show us how to do it. A leader is, they show you how to do it. They do it themselves. Yosef was being here a leader for his brothers. Yosef was demonstrating to them, this is how you do it. Look what I did. I showed up to you, even though I know you guys hate me. That's called honoring your father. This is lesson number one from the story of Joseph. Joseph was a brave lad. He was an orphan from his mom. He was seven years old when his mother passed away at childbirth when his younger brother Benjamin was born. And... He was in the comfort of his home with his beloved father and yet he took a daring trip to teach his brothers a lesson, to be the message. We're always looking for ways to have an impact, to influence our spouse, our family members, our friends, our co-workers. How do we influence them? By showing an example. Not just by telling them what to do, but by doing it. And when we do it that way, our children, our friends, will follow suit, hopefully. More of a, a higher chance of them following suit. Okay, if you got that, let me know. We'll move on to section number two. 
He also gets to his brothers. <clears throat> They're not very nice to him. Eventually, they learned their lesson. They felt really bad when they got back home and they saw how sad their father is. And they started blaming each other or Judah for, for, for selling him and so on. But what happened, happened. And what was done, was done. He was first put in a pit and they, they ignored his cries and his pleas to save him. And then they saw a group of uh, merchants coming by and they sold him. They were on their way to Egypt. They sold him for, didn't even make much money off him. They sold him for a cheap price, 20 silver coins. And he was led to Egypt. And he is bought as a slave by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is one of King Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, King Pharaoh's ministers, one of his uh, sarim, one of his advisors and ministers. And Joseph is bought as a slave. Source number six. A key to success. What is the key to success? Joseph is the only person that the Torah describes as a successful man. I don't think anywhere else in Torah, or very rare, I can't remember anywhere else, any other figure, any personality in Torah, that Torah describes them as a ish matzliach. We have in Hebrew a term, hatzlacha rabba, good luck. Hatzlacha means success, much success. The Rebbe would give a blessing on Sundays, people would give a, come by and the Rebbe would give them a dollar for charity. The Rebbe would say, bracha v'hatzlacha, blessings and success. Hatzlacha. This term we find not so often in Torah, but Yosef is described as a successful man. He was very successful in the house of his master and his mistress. Source number six, the Egyptian master saw that the Lord was with Yosef and he was a successful man. Potiphar appointed him over his house and all he had he gave into his hand. Joseph rose the prominence and he became the the chief man in the home he took care of everything all of the bills everything was going on in the home joseph was in charge potiphar his master noticed that god was with joseph and he was successful whatever joseph did it was just it was this divine um blessing and success with joseph one example the torah tells us uh, midrash tells us source number seven his master would ask what kind of wine are you giving me what are you preparing for me there and he, if Yosef replied, spiced wine, his master would say, I prefer absinthe, absinthe, absinthe wine, which is a certain kind of wine. And it would change into absinthe wine. If his master demanded an ordinary wine, it would immediately become plain wine. And if he asked for boiled wine, it would turn into boiled wine. And the same thing happened with everything else that he did. Whatever the master wanted, there was this success. There was something... Um, miraculous about Joseph. There was this divine success around Joseph. Things just started to prosper and things were just amazing for Potiphar and his family due to Joseph. Joseph was extremely successful. Wherever he laid his hand, you know, turned to gold. Everything was just great. What's the key? What's the secret to Joseph's success? How can we become like Joseph? At least a little bit. How do we gain success? How do we achieve success that the Torah describes about Yosef. Maybe not so miraculous, but we're all looking to be successful. What does the Torah tell special about Yosef that maybe uh, brought him his success? Well, if you look in the wording, source number six told us that the master saw that the Lord was with Yosef. He didn't just see that Joseph was successful. He didn't just see the bottom line, you know, whatever he wanted happened. 
He saw that the Lord was with Joseph. What did the Potiphar, Egyptian idol worshiper, know about God? How did he know? Maybe it was magic. There was all kinds of uh, magic and and uh, all kinds of those kind of stuff in Egypt at the time. How did he know it was the God, the true God? So, Midrash tells us, Source 8, In what way was the Lord with him? The name of God never left Yosef's lips. The way Rashi terms it, Shem Shamayim, the name of heaven was Shogur, was frequent in his mouth. Some examples, Midrash says, When Yosef entered to serve him, he would whisper to himself, Master of the universe, you are the one in whom I trust. You are the one who is my protector. May I find grace, kindness, and mercy in your sight and in the sight of all who see me and in the eyes of my master Potiphar. Yosef was constantly thanking God, constantly praying to God, constantly uh, requesting God for his assistance. Hello, Vicky. And hello, everybody else uh, that's joining on here. <coughs> <laughs> like we do today Baruch Hashem he would say Baruch Hashem thanking God Baruch Hashem blessed is God when we begin if you look on the source sheet on the top left it says BH which stands for Baruch Hashem when we begin something we say Baruch Hashem when, we, when we're happy with something Baruch Hashem thank Hashem when we uh, announce something with grace to God with thanks to God we're always you know, looking for a parking spot. Please, God, find me a spot. I can't be late to this meeting. Thank you, God. Joseph was constantly had God on his lips. Now, it wasn't just a lip service. It was a, a, um, a real recognition, a uh, very deep recognition and um, perspective on life that everything is from God. And he lived with God. So in the Rebbe's words translated, Source 9, Since Yosef was permeated with godliness in a manner that God's name was frequently on his lips, and in every act and incident he was aware of God, he was therefore a vessel for divine success. So, one of the Rebbe's once said, Where is God? Wherever you let him in. Yosef let God into his life. If we let God in, we'll experience miracles. We'll experience a success beyond um, the expected. Yosef was constantly aware of God. In every act, in every incident, he lived God. He was aware that everything happens and is orchestrated by God. He praised God. He thanked God. He... Uh, requested and beseeched God to help him as it says you are my master you, you know let me find grace let me find he uh, attributed everything to God he was very aware of God in his life and therefore he was a vessel for this divine success why why does that make you a, a vessel so let's take this a step deeper as the verse says in the book of Isaiah Yeshaya one of the prophets Yeshaya says, source 10, So says the Lord, To this one I will look. To who will I look? Who will I gaze and pay attention and, and bestow blessing and success to? To one poor and of crushed spirit. One who is humble. 
not arrogant, one who doesn't say, hey, look how successful I am, I work very hard, I'm so smart, I'm so beautiful, I'm so skilled and talented, and it's all because of me, and it's because I did this, and it's because I did that. That's not where God looks. Where does God look? To one who is, who is humble, one who is a poor and crushed spirit, one who attributes everything to God and recognizes that it's all from Hashem. I'm doing my part, but it's all happening, it's all a flow of God. One who recognizes the source of it, then there is an abundance. There is divine success. So Yosef was, especially at this time, point in his life, he was extremely um, humble. Because think of Yosef. He was um, torn away from his beloved family and noble family, the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here he is a slave. You know, Jacob was a wealthy man. Jacob had... Uh, servants and maids. He, he, Joseph grew up in in uh, in riches, if you can say, Phys material riches and spiritual riches. He was a son of of Jacob and a great man. And continuing here, source ten, Joseph endured several humiliating experiences. This was quite humbling for Joseph. His own brothers um, tried to kill him and sold him as a slave. He was sold as a slave, deprived of his former identity and comforts. This served to evoke within him a sense of servitude and selflessness before God. Since humility makes a person worthy of receiving divine blessings, Yosef was blessed with uncommon good fortune and an unusual knack for success. So when one is humble... When one is of crushed spirits and nonetheless <clears throat> serves God and recognizes that God is the source of his blessings and whatever happens in life, one becomes a vessel for divine success. Yosef was humble, a dose of humility, attributing our success and the source of blessing from to, to God and having God frequently on our lips, this is the key to success. What did Potiphar, what, is, what did Joseph's master see in him? He saw that he was constantly saying, Baruch Hashem, please God, thank you God. He was humble. He recognized that it's not about him. He is not the reason for the success. He is maybe a part of the tools, of God's tools for the success. But ultimately, it's all from Hashem. And when we do the same, we will be a vessel for success as well. That is the second lesson that Joseph teaches us. Joseph was a ish matzliach. Joseph was a successful man. Why? What did his master see? He had God constantly on his lips. He was humble. He was thankful to God and constantly saying, God, please make me succeed. Thank you, God, for making me succeed. Hello, Neil. We turn the page to source number 11. And we let God be a partner in our life. When we're partners with God, we bring God into the business. We bring God into our family life. We bring God into <clears throat> our day-to-day -day life. God is a partner. You will have the success that God can provide. Third lesson from Joseph. So Joseph is in his master's home. He spends about a year there. And then he is, uh, Yosef, the Torah describes, as a very handsome young man, very good-looking. And his mistress, 
a woman named Zelicha uh, becomes attracted to him and tries to seduce him into into a relationship. And Yosef backs off. Yosef says, "You know, you're a married woman. This is a, this is a sin. This would be a sin against my your ma- my, your husband, my master, and against God." And nobody's home one time, and she tries to pull him in. And he runs out to home, and she makes the whole story backwards. She says, hey, he tried to come, um, you know, have a sin with me. It's all his fault. And she's successful in bad-mouthing him. And he is, life is speared, but he's thrown into prison. And Joseph is languishing in the Egyptian pit, the Egyptian prison, for 10 long years. He's 18 years old. From 18 to 28 years old, he is in prison. Well, also there, he was successful. The prison um, minister, the prison uh, guy in charge of the prison, he also finds favor in his eyes, and he's successful there. And he is the macher. He is tending to the prisoners. But yet, he is in prison. But he's humble. And even there, he is successful to the extent that he can be in prison. The story continues, and here comes lesson number three. The story continues that one day Pharaoh, the king Pharaoh, gets mad at his two of his um, ministers. One of them, let's take a look, source number 11, Pharaoh became incensed at the chief cupbearer and at the chief baker. So apparently the cup of wine, the glass of wine that was prepared for king Pharaoh Somehow a fly got in there, and the king was not too happy and says, Off with you, and placed him into prison. The other guy was the baker, and there was a pebble found in the dough, in the bread. And he was not too happy about that. Once again, this man too is placed in prison. Where are they placed? Continuing in the source 11, he placed them into the prison, the place where Yosef was in prison. Now both of them dreamed the dream. One night, they're in the they're in the prison. Yosef is there, the same prison. Yosef's there for ten years. These guys are just there for a shorter time, and both of them have a dream. The Sar Hamashkim, the the chief cupbearer, the one that was in charge of the drinks, and the one that was in charge of the bakery, the baked goods, the baker. They each have a dream. And they wake up and they don't know what the meaning of this of their each each of their dreams are. And what happens? Who remembers? He once had a whole lesson about dreams, the significance of dreams in Jewish tradition. Many dreams are mentioned in the Torah. We'll see soon some more dreams. But here, each of them had a dream. And actually, their dreams were meaningful. We had, sometimes dreams are meaningful, sometimes they're meaningless, but at that time, they were meaningful. At least this dream. And the Torah tells us the whole dream that, he, that this one had, that had. But the point is that that morning, they didn't know what the pisra, what the interpretation of their dreams would be. What happens in the morning? Source number 12, Yosef, the Torah tells us. And once again, uh, Yosef came to them in the morning and he saw that they were troubled. 
He asked Pharaoh's chamberlains who were with him in the prison, why are your faces sad today? He sees their sad. He says, why are you sad today? Now, the Torah doesn't tell us everything that happened with Joseph for 10 years. And the Torah doesn't have to tell us every conversation that Yosef had with him. Well, Yosef ends up um, interpreting their dreams for them. But why is this conversation there important? Everything in Torah is, is exact and detailed. Torah is not a history book. Torah is not just a book of uh, nice stories, bedtime stories. Every detail in Torah is because it contains a message here for us. This conversation that Yosef approached Pharaoh, King Pharaoh's two chamberlains, and asked them, why are your faces troubled today? Why are you sad? There is a lesson for us. Think about it. Yosef had all the right um, to ignore these two men. <laughs> they, they were the ones that probably made trouble for him 10 years ago. This was a big story. This was headlines in the Egyptian newspapers and on the shows in the media. Joseph, this Hebrew boy, is, uh, tries to seduce the, the mistress uh, of one of King Pharaoh's advisors. This was, this was a... Um, judicial system that Joseph was not very happy with. He was, this whole story was concocted. He, it was just the opposite. He wasn't the, he wasn't the, he, he was the victim. He wasn't the one the, making the problems. He was trying to get out of this whole thing. And for not doing nothing, he's in prison here. And here are King Pharaoh's advisors King Pharaoh's ministers. Source number 13. Yosef had suffered horrible humiliations. First sold as a slave and then imprisoned for a sin he had not committed. He could have been stuck in self-pity. Oy vey, I, I was sold as a slave, my own brothers. And let everybody know for the rest of his life how terrible it happened to him. It's not his fault. And this guy did something bad and that person did something bad. He could have been absorbed in his own in his own um, pain, in his own sorrow. He was sold as a slave and then imprisoned for a sin he had not committed. We would expect that he would have become absorbed in his own pain, angry at the world. He would never, we would never imagine he would notice the pain of others and notice the pain of others who were part of the, you know, represented uh, the... Um, authority uh, in Egypt who, who had wronged him. He's sitting here 10 years already. His hopes to be reunited with his family back in Israel one day are slipping away. 10 years he's languishing in an Egyptian prison. Sold as a slave. Should have just been mad, angry, self-absorbed. The fact that Yosef noticed that two Egyptians, idol worshippers, Yosef was a member of the of uh, the noble Jewish family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were well known throughout the world. And here you have the low idol worshippers in, in Egypt. To them, he noticed, he looks to them, and he notices that they are in pain, they are, their faces are troubled. So I would have, we would have expected that Yosef should not have had this conversation with them in the morning. And yet, source 14, yet Joseph did not become bitter. Yosef was not bitter. 
that morning and for those 10 years and that morning in prison. He remained sensitive to others. No matter what he went through and was currently going through, he remained sensitive to others and to his divine mission in life. Not only did he perceive the anguish of the courtiers, but he also thoughtfully inquired after their well-being, even in the slight chance that there was something he could do to help them. To Yosef, the fact that God had orchestrated events in such a manner that he should notice a creature of God in need of help indicated that it was his duty to help. Yosef was sensitive. Yosef noticed, he perceived their anguish, and he did something. You know, sometimes we see somebody is sad, we see somebody, is, uh, is, is, their faces are fallen, but we don't know what to do, we, we ignore it. We just, you know, in our minds, in our hearts, we, maybe between ourselves, our, in our, to our friends, to our spouse, we talk about it, but do we actually reach out to them? Yosef perceived their anguish. He wasn't just self-absorbing. He noticed the pain on somebody else's face. And he did something. He said, how can I help? Why, why are your faces fallen today? What are, why are you troubled? Maybe there's something you can do. Why? Because Joseph remained committed. He remained aware of his mission. He, every moment in life there is a mission. Maybe I, have plan I would have planned my life to stay in Israel with my father and I would have planned it to be one way. But I ended up over here. But no fault of my own. Maybe, you know, he was sold as a slave. He was, he was um, accused of something which was, which was not true. And he ended up in prison. But maybe my mission is in prison. And Yosef, not maybe, Yosef knew if he is here in prison, his mission is in prison. And he did whatever he could. He rolled up his sleeves to help and try to contribute to the best of his ability. And that morning, 10 years after being in prison, when he sees somebody, a creature, a human being, that his face is fallen, Joseph says, Good morning, why are your face is fallen? What can I do to help you? There must be a reason why this came to my attention. There must be, this is a piece in the puzzle, there's something for me to do here. Let me ask, what can I do? And if you think about it, I mean, what kind of question is it? Why your face is fallen? <laughs> they just came from, from riches to rags. They were just the top of the, the, you know, the elite in Egypt. They were King Pharaoh's advisors, his ministers. They were taking care of all of the, 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 the chicken soup and all of the latkes, everything that was going on in King Pharaoh's palace. They were the ones uh, mixing the wines and the drinks and the cocktails. Uh, they, were the, they were the big machers. And here they landed prison. And they're facing uh, possible capital punishment. One of them actually did. The baker was, was, was hung three days later. That's how Yosef interpreted his dream. And that's what happened. Because he didn't sift the bread. He didn't sift the flour uh, good enough. You know, the, the, the drink, it wasn't his fault that a fly flew in there. You can't control the flies. Or at least uh, it's harder to control them. This was serious. No, no wonder they're sad. What is Yosef telling them? Why are you sad? What, 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 they should be happy. They just landed here. What was Yosef asking? So if you look, if we look into the wording of the Torah, we see how exact it is. Source number 15, he didn't ask, Yosef didn't ask, why are your faces downcast? He didn't say that. He added a word. Rather, he asked, why are your faces downcast today? It wasn't just about why are they downcast. 
Why are your faces downcast today? Joseph asked them. That means it's implying that he discerned in them today a deeper sadness than the one he had detected in them the day before. So in tune was he with others. Yosef was very sensitive. He walked around every day. He's, he was looking for what to do. And he noticed that, yeah, they were sad the day before. Okay, hello, Katriel. Yesterday they were sad. That made sense. But today he detected a deeper sadness. Just something is up. Something changed within them. Yesterday they were facing capital punishment, perhaps. And today, what, what changed now? Something changed. Maybe there was a, uh, an update in the case. He wanted to know, why are they more sad? Why are your faces downcast today? Yosef was able to detect that there's something different in them. The, 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 the sadness on their face increased from the previous day. That's what Yosef asked them. Why are your faces downcast today? Why are they more downcast today than the day before? Yosef was so in tune, despite Yosef languishing in the prison for 10 years, despite being sold off as a slave by his brothers, he took charge of his life. He made the best of the situation. Yosef knew that he's here because God put him here. It happened because of this guy. Yeah, his brothers were wrong. And Zelicha, his mistress, it was her problem. Why did she accuse him? You know, she, she was attracted to him. She wanted to sin even though she was a married woman. It's her problem. Why did, why did he have to be in prison for 10 years? And the whole Egypt was now believing her story. Why should they listen to this young Jewish boy? And yet, Yosef didn't have self-pity. He wasn't angry at the world. Yosef realized that if he's here, there's a mission for him. And he noticed, what can I do to help another creation, another human being? How can I be a better mensch? He looked around every day, what could he do? And that day he noticed that the faces were more sad than the day before. So Yosef says, why are your faces fallen today? What is troubling today more than yesterday? And he was right, they did have, they had a troubling dream. And they couldn't interpret, so Yosef helped them with the help of God. He interpreted their dreams. But what does this teach us? This teaches us to be aware to be sensitive of others, to recognize that wherever we are in any situation, even in the difficult and challenging situations, we have a mission. Perhaps that is why God brought us to that stage, to that point, to make the best, to make a difference in someone's life, to study, to learn something, to, to change, to make a change. It could be something so small. What happened? Yosef told them good morning. Yosef asked them, why your face is fallen? He interpreted the dreams. They were the the dream. The his interpretation was correct. Three days later, the baker was hung. The other, the cupbearer, was re reinstated. And two years later, King Pharaoh has a dream, two dreams, a double dream that he sees seven skinny cows and seven fat cows, and a whole interesting dream. And King Pharaoh is is extremely extremely uh, bewildered and unsettled and he's looking for an interpretation and the guy says oh I remember two years ago I was in prison and there was this Jewish lad and he interpreted the dreams and it was correct maybe he knows the answer maybe he can interpret your dreams King Pharaoh and indeed Joseph is taken out of the prison finally after 12 years and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams that the seven fat cows show on seven years of plenty and abundance that are about to ascend about to uh, begin in, in, the, in, the, in the land of Egypt and following that, there will be seven skinny cows, which represent the seven years of famine, seven years of hunger, and the seven years of, of plenty we should prepare and stock up and, and, and store food for the upcoming seven years of hunger. And he has a whole plan, and as a result, 
Joseph is promoted. He's not just taken out of the pit of the prison. Joseph becomes viceroy. He becomes second in command in Egypt. And he becomes, he becomes the greatest man for the rest of his life. He's uh, 39 at the time until he passes in hun- to 110. Most of his life he serves as the great um, savior of Egypt during those seven years. And, and, and leader of, of, uh, of the entire Egyptian empire, which was the superpower of the time. King Pharaoh is listed in the Midrash as one of the ten kings that ruled the entire civilization. How did it all start? From Yosef recognizing, perceiving their sadness, their change, the increase of their sadness, and doing something about it. Asking what he can do to help. That small deed made such an impact. Source number 16, what was the result, what was the result of this one? of this one seemingly minor good deed, Yosef became the viceroy of Egypt and gained the position of which, from which he ultimately saved the civilized world from famine by having a whole plan how he was able to, how he was able to properly prepare for the seven years of, of, uh, of hunger that was going to come upon the, the people. The story is told. The story is told by Rabbi Yaakov Kaplan. Sorry, David Kaplan. David Kaplan. He lives in uh, Jerusalem. He has a book called Impact. Over there, there's a story. I, I, I don't know the name of the person that it happened to, but he writes a story that uh, this happened in Norway, and. Uh, there was a food plant, you know, factory there. Many workers would come every morning, work all day, and uh, leave in the evening. There was a security guard. The security guard would stand at the entrance and, uh, you know, open up and close up at the end of the day. And there was this one Jewish man that worked there. Perhaps he was the mashkiach, making sure that uh, everything is done in a kosher way. I'm not sure. There was a Jewish man. He wore a yarmulke. And um, and this went on for years. One day, it's uh, five o'clock, whatever time it is. The factory is the, the plant is closing. Everybody is out, and uh, they they're, they want to close up. And the security guard says, "No, you can't. We can't lock up. the 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 Jew is still in there." You say, Are "You sure?" They go in. They look around. They don't see him. And he says, "No, I'm sure he's in there." He says, how do you know? He said, I'm sure he's in there. Meanwhile, where was this Jew? He had last, uh, you know, in the middle of the uh, late afternoon, he, he uh, went to check something in the freezer, walk-in freezer, and by mistake, the, the security latch, uh, you know, got, the door got off the, the, the you know, was uh, unhooked, and the door slammed closed. And he had no way to go out. He had no way to get out of the freezer. He's banging, he's screaming, but you know the noise from the freezer was was um, there was no way anyone could hear him outside. And if they would have locked up and left for the night, he, he would have uh, he wouldn't have been alive uh, for too much longer. The security guard said, "No, I'm." He was adamant. The guy is still in there somewhere. Until he realized maybe he's in the freezer. They opened the freezer and they, you know, he was ready semi-unconscious uh, and they saved this guy. 
So he asked the security guard, how, how do you know that, how did you know that the Jew was in there? And he said, listen, I am working here for 35 years. Every single morning, people come in, people leave. But I'm not always uh, even acknowledged. I'm just like here, a security guard. You know, people go in, they, 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 he's like a statue. But this Jew, every morning, for years and years already, every morning, he gives me a nod, he tells me a good morning. And every evening, he tells me a, a nice good night, good night, good evening, see you tomorrow. Today, and, and, and I felt I feel like a human being. He recognizes me, he uh, acknowledges me. Today, I, I remembered hearing the good morning from him, but I didn't get the good evening. It meant so much to me. It was... Uh, it was it was something really meaningful. So to, you know, he would say thank you, good evening, something a mensch, you know. Everyone's a human being, deserves uh, some decency. And I didn't hear that good evening today, so I was sure he was in there somewhere. So this man, this man's good morning, good evening, saved his life. This is what we see in the story of Joseph. Such a small deed, a small little thing. Yosef perceived that somebody was in pain, somebody was more trouble than something the day before, and he did something about it. He said, how can I help you? Sometimes it's just that itself is helpful. Just asking, how can I help you? Even if we can't take away the problem, but we can help the person, uh, we, we, we can carry the load with them. We can make them feel that they're not alone. Just by asking what we can do. That's lesson number three that we learn from Joseph. And that leads us to lesson number four. Joseph is the viceroy. Seven years go by. Joseph is uh, 30 when he is, when he is uh, let out of prison. He ends up being 12 years. 17 when he's sold. He's a year in his master's home. He's 18, 10 years in prison. And then two more years after the, the story of the interpreting the dreams in prison. He's 30 years old and seven years of plenty, of abundance uh, the Egyptians have. And Yosef is uh, <coughs> preparing, you know, while he gets married, <laughs> he has two kids, two boys. And then the seven years of hunger begin. And it's not just actual Egypt, but it's the whole region. Israel is not too far from, uh, from Egypt. And everybody is starving. The things aren't, aren't growing. There is, a, there is a heavy hunger, a famine in the, in the entire region, the entire area. And everybody's coming to Egypt. Uh, everyone here is this man, Joseph. He prepared seven years before. His stuff is not rotting. He had a way of storing things. And Joseph is providing food for anyone that comes. Who comes along from Israel to Egypt? After 22 years, Joseph meets up with his brothers. <laughs> his own brothers are hungry. And Jacob, their father, dispatch, dispatches them to go down to Egypt. He says, I heard there's food in Egypt. Why should we die of hunger? And after 22 years, they have no idea what happened. They have no idea what ended up happening to Joseph. They know they sold him to a, uh, to a uh, group of guys that were going to Egypt. He was resold a couple of times. They had no idea that in their wildest imagination, imagination that Joseph was the one that is... Also, it's been many, many years. He was much younger than them when he, when he had left them. 
And at first they didn't even recognize him. Yosef recognized them. A whole story of Torah goes back and forth, back and forth. Finally, finally, Yosef reveals himself to his brothers and says, Hey guys, it's me. I'm your last brother. Now, what is Yosef's uh, reaction? What is Yosef's... Uh, how, how does Yosef deal with his brothers? You know, they, they, pretty, they, they really wronged him. They took him, a 17-year-old orphan. They had, maybe they're still their mother, but uh, Leah, he didn't have a mother. They're, he, he was, uh, you know, okay, he was a little mischievous. He, he was having these dreams that he's going to be a king one day and telling them about it. But nonetheless, he was a young lad. And they took his own brother, own brother, and they, you know, they were very uh, mean to him. And then obviously the commentaries explain the story. It's not for now. Why they sold him exactly? What right did they have? They weren't, um, you know, they weren't lowlifes. They, they were men of great stature and they had reasoning. Maybe they were incorrect, but they had some sort of um, train of thought why he deserved to be, to, to be dealt with in that way. But nonetheless, they, they mistreated him. And he had all the right to be uh, very upset and to uh, take revenge once they're back in his hands. And now he's the king, second in command. How does Joseph look at the story? Source number 17. Once again, the story is told to us, not just to hear a nice story, but there's something for us to learn and incorporate into our lives. So let's take a look. Source number 17. By the way, this is the, the portion. For those that missed the beginning, let's just take a little uh, commercial break here. This man, Mark Twain, I saw that he writes that he visited the tomb of Joseph in 1867. That's over 150 years ago. He took a trip to Israel and he visited the city of Shechem, the same city where Joseph was basically um, sold and uh, sold and kidnapped from. Right, when he came to his brothers, it was the city of Shechem. That is where eventually, after Joseph reached 110 years, he passed away. He was first buried in, 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 um, in Egypt. And then, you know, hundreds of years later, when the Jewish people eventually left Egypt, they took his remains with them and they interred him, reinterred him in the same city where he was taken. So uh, the term in the Talmud, the Midrash, Mishchem Gnavuhu, from Shechem he was stolen, and from Shechem he was returned. And his grave is there in the city of Shechem, also known as Nablus. And Mr. Mark Twain, who was school, is uh, named after him right here, uh, writes all about his visit to the city of Shechem, how he was, uh, his grave site is very revered by, by all, and unfortunately it's been a place of some tension, but nonetheless there is a, it's a holy site. I have never been there. Uh, the trips that are now made by Jews to that place, it's usually the middle of the night, it's done uh, more secretive, not to antagonize uh, the neighbors. But um, that's the story we're learning about Shechem, the story of Joseph. So Joseph, how does Joseph deal with his brothers when they finally meet up with him? It's today's portion. Every day of the week, we take the, the weekly Parsha. The Torah has 53 portions. Every week, we, every Shabbos, we read one portion publicly from the Torah. And the, the week before, from Sunday to Friday to Shabbos, we divided the parsha, the portion, into seven parts. And every day we study one portion. 
And we have a saying that we got to live with the portion of the week, the portion of the day. The, the study, the Chumash, the Torah that we study today, we got to live it. We got to uh, internalize its message. So today's portion is Joseph revealing himself to his brothers. And what does he tell his brothers? Source number 17, Torah tells us. I am your brother Yosef. They are flabbergasted. They, are, they would never imagine such a thing that this man, because he, he uh, you know, was very much up there in the Egyptian society. Uh, they would never imagine this is their long lost brother. I am your brother Yosef, whom you sold into Egypt. Ooh, he sounds a bit scary. You sold me into Egypt. But now, Joseph tells them, do not be sad. And let it not trouble you that you sold me here. Don't worry about me. Even though you sold me here. For it was to preserve life that God sent me before you. God sent me here to Egypt 22 years ago. You did not send me here, but God. And He made me a ruler over the entire land of Egypt. These are the words in the Torah. The Torah records the exact conversation that Joseph had with his brothers. Yosef tells them, you guys sold me. Yes, that was wrong. We're not going to deal with that right now. But on my part, I'm not upset at you. I'm not going to repay you. I'm not going to let my vengeance and be angry and take revenge right now. From my perspective, look at me now. I am viceroy. I am here to save the society. I was put in this position to interpret the dreams and, and help people not starve. Only because I was in Egypt at the right time, in the right place. You guys sold me, but it was all part of God's plan. God sent me here. You may have been his agents, and maybe you, it's your business between you and God, you know, if it was right or wrong what you did, but from my perspective, God sent me here. I had to wound up in Egypt. This is how it came to be. And he had to be, end up in, in the prison. Because that way he interpreted that guy's dream. So that guy told King Pharaoh that, he, that there's this Jewish guy interpreting dreams. Everything was set into place. Was put into place. Everything had a reason. God sent me here. Joseph said, we have to read this again. These are powerful words. Let, um, you did not send me here. Joseph tells them, God sent me here. And he sent me here to be a ruler over the entire land of Egypt, to be, to support the people, to, to, to help them survive these seven years of hunger. God sent me before you. I'm here 22 years ago. You're just coming down now. And then Joseph implores them to go up to their father and they should all re relocate, bring their families down to Egypt. And that's how the Jewish people ended up in Egypt eventually after Joseph's death and everything, the slavery started and so on. But for many, many years, Jewish people lived in Goshen, not Goshen, New York, but Goshen, Egypt. And they, um, they uh, multiplied, they... They, they were very successful in Egypt, prospered in Egypt under in, you know, Joseph's influence. Joseph ended up in Egypt. Joseph tells them, you may have sold me, but God orchestrated this. And for my part, this is, I'm accepting God's, God's will. This is how it was meant to be. I may have suffered, but in hindsight, I see that it was all part of God's plan to bring me to this position. I have no ill feelings towards you, Joseph tells them. I have no resentment. 
And Joseph says, bring your families there. I will support you. Source 18. Think about this. Yosef had suffered the agony of being sold into slavery and being alone in an alien country for over two decades because of his brother's actions. Imagine, 22 years he was ripped away from his father, living in an alien country. And 12 of those years he was in prison. Unimaginable. His ability to appreciate the divine strategy which brought him to Pharaoh's palace is a testament to Yosef's self-control and mature wisdom, maturity of wisdom. Yosef was able to recognize that, okay, there are people that may have done things to me along the way, but it's all part of God's plan. And I have no reason to be resentful and to be angry because this is the way it happened. God wanted it to happen this way. And the Zohar tells us that the, the, the Torah records the story to teach us that we should learn from Joseph, how Joseph reacted, how Joseph acted to his brothers. That although they wronged him, Joseph took it that this was meant to be. You know what? Their, their business, that's between them and God. And, and even if, you know, maybe sometimes we do have to... Uh, do something in order to prevent such thing, other people from suffering. But my feeling, the feelings inside are not those of resentment. Something, sometimes somebody has to be punished and put in their place. But ultimately, it's not their fault that something happened. They may have done it. They have, may have been the agent. Let's, let's look in the, this is, this is a very, very deep Hasidic concept, which is sometimes difficult to accept. But let's see a couple of more sources which um, which is based in the, which is from the, the Zohar, the teachings of Kabbalah. Let's see our quote from the book of Tanya, source number nineteen. Were he to believe that what happened to him or her is of the Lord's doing, if one would believe that whatever happens, anything that happens, is from the Lord's doing, he would not become angry at all. Why does one get angry? Because they how can they, how can this person do this to me? How can this person make the choice to do such a thing? It's their fault. If only they wouldn't have done it, it wouldn't have happened. No. But if everything is planned by God, then if it's from God, you can't run away from God. It wouldn't have happened this way. It would have happened another way. If it wasn't uh, this guy breaking in, it would have been a flood, which is uh, uncontrollable. So, and, and though it is a person possessed of free choice, cursing him or hitting him or causing damage to his money, and therefore guilty according to the laws of man and the laws of heaven for having chosen evil, nevertheless, as regards the person harmed, this was already decreed from heaven, and the omnipresent has many deputies. Okay, so in other words... We have the right, you know, the natural way of thinking is, hey, this guy has free choice. He made a choice to choose evil, to do bad, to curse, to hit, to, to damage, to kill, to who knows what. If only they wouldn't have not have made that choice, it wouldn't have happened. Oh, that's maybe before. Before it happened, we can try to stop it from happening. But after the fact that it happened, um... You know, that person is liable for what they did and the court will do what they have to do and God will take care of this person for choosing evil. But in regards to the person harmed, what's t 
terms in halacha, the nizok, the, the victim, al hanizok kvar nigzar min No one gets victim, no one gets hurt uh, without permission from heaven, you know, unplanned from God. Somebody comes in, uh, somebody else makes the wrong choice, and they go ahead and hurt somebody. Oh, that person was not supposed to get hurt. And that person went against God's plan and hurt them. That's not the way it works. Well, the way it works is God plans for this person, for whatever reason, to be challenged, to suffer for whatever reason. Right? Like Joseph. Now, that person is liable because God didn't tell him to do it. God planned for it to happen. And if that person would have, wouldn't have done it, what is the term here? God has many deputies. Let's think of an example. God's plan that God told Abraham way before the Jews ended up in Egypt was that the Jewish people should be slaves in Egypt. That was a plan for God, for whatever reason. It was a preparation, a crushing experience to uh, help them become more, uh, have a sense of servitude to God, whatever the, the idea is, to elevate Egypt. That's what the Kabbalah teaches. That was the plan. The plan was for the Jews to be slaves. So you might ask, so why were the Egyptians punished with ten plagues uh, for, for enslaving the Jews? That was part of God's plan. The answer is, one of the answers is that uh, God didn't say, hey you, Mr. Egyptian, you should enslave the Jews. This was part of God's plan. God didn't tell you to do it. If you, did so, you chose evil, you're going you're gonna to be held um, liable for that. God's plan can come a different way. It's 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 a, it's a bit um, refined, but this is the idea. If one recognizes that, yes, some things happen in life that um, are challenging, that are painful, that are difficult, and sometimes when it happens, you know, if it happens from a tsunami or a hurricane, okay, you know, God did it. But when it happens by somebody that has free choice. And we say, hey, if only they would not have made that bad choice, then this would not have happened to me. But that's basically saying that God has no control of what's happening. And that is incorrect. God is the ultimate orchestrator of everything that happens. And God has many deputies. He has many agents. That per if that person would have done it, somebody else would have done it. Or it would have happened another way. So that person is accountable, has to be held accountable. But nonetheless, from the victim's perspective, this is a message from God. This was going to happen anyway. This was meant to happen. Of course, after it happened, before it happened, you've got to jump on the guy and take away the gun and do whatever you can to lock your windows and, uh, and, and uh, put sandbags and so on. You know. But once something already happens, obviously that was just meant to be. It was Bashar. Let's take a look in source number 20. Every person experiences the pain of being treated unjustly by others. Throughout our life, it happens. Although sentiments of anger and vengeance are natural reactions to such occurrences, how dare he? All their fault that I have all these problems. In many instances, a simple belief in God and divine providence is the antidote to this problem. Of course, every case is unique, and some cases are, you know, it's really not their fault. But a general perspective here is that Although the natural reaction is to be very angry and, and have a feeling uh, of, of vengeance towards another, the, the, the perpetrator, but if one would believe and get in tune, in touch with this belief that every Jew possesses deep inside from the neshama, from the soul, that <coughs> there is divine providence. That once something happens, 
Uh, that's the path that God wants you for your life. And through the challenge, you will grow by overcoming that feeling and you'll become a better and stronger person. And crushing that temptation to be resentful and, and, and angry and, non, and find the best. And that, that, that's a grow, it can be an opportunity for growth. So whatever it is that God had, we, you know, we're not always sure why God put it in our path. It took Joseph 22 years, or almost 22 years, it took him many years, or at least 13 years, until he rose to prominence. Till then, he was sold as a slave. A year later, he's uh, accused of, of doing something that he, he did not do. He's in prison for 12 years. For those 12 years, he had all the right to be upset. He wasn't upset. It took many years. Finally, he saw that there's a, there's a puzzle coming into play over here. He was sold, and he ended up in Egypt, and because he was in Egypt, then he was uh, accused, so he ended up in prison. He happened to be in the right spot, and he happened to interpret their dreams correctly, and therefore he rose to prominence, and he became the viceroy, and he was instrumental in bringing all the Jewish people to Egypt, which was part of God's plan. So it was all a piece of the puzzle. And Joseph ended up benefiting from, from being sold. If he wasn't sold... Who says he would? How how else would he become the viceroy? You know, this was part. This was God's plan. This is the way God designed it for whatever reason. This is the way it should have. You know, it was supposed to happen. There's all too in our lives. We just sometimes we gotta have a little patience. Not always do we see the positive benefits, the positive results of our being mistreated, and sometimes we'll never see. You know, it took many years. Then who knows? Maybe then it was twelve years. Maybe it'll be a hundred years, fifty years. Who knows? How, when? Sometimes it's more. It's less. This is, but if we have the belief that if something happens to us, nothing could happen to us against God's plan. It doesn't mean, again, that that person should not be held liable. That person should be held liable. That person needs to be punished. And there's this court system and, and so on. But from my perspective, my feelings towards the, the one who did wrong to me, it's very difficult. You know, we're only human. And it's something we should strive towards. Of course, nobody's perfect in this area. We're not Joseph. Joseph was called a tzaddik. But it's something that the Torah records to teach us. It's something we should strive to, to attain, to achieve, to be able to um, recognize that they are just an agent of God. They're just a tool that God is using by them, by them having made that choice. That was the way for this to happen to, to the person. You remember a couple of years ago, there was a very, very sad, terrible story of a family that, that their child was, was abducted and, and uh, gruesomely killed. And, and, and if I remember correctly, the, the, the father, the parents, they, um, like, you know, they, they, said they had to do whatever they had to do. Obviously, the, the person um, that, that committed this crime needed to be put away and, and make sure this doesn't happen again and so on. God forbid. But uh, their feelings were that, and their, their statements that they put out was that th th this, was, this was a blow from God. This, this was part of God's plan. That person was the one that did it, you know. He was uh, Meshuggah, obviously. But the feelings wasn't like, oh, if he wouldn't have done it, you know, if only he wouldn't have done it, then, then uh, you know, this wouldn't have happened. It's, it's a very fine line, but their, their faith taught them that everything that happens is from God. If it wouldn't have happened this way, we cannot elude um, you know, God's destiny.
So if the brothers wouldn't have sold Joseph, Joseph would have ended up in, in, in Egypt some other way. You know? This was part of the plan. And that is what Joseph tells his brothers. He says, I don't have any hard feelings towards you. you from my perspective, you did not send me here. God sent me here. I'm not going to unleash my, uh, my vengeance on you. My wrath. And now, you know, take care of you guys for your bad actions. Joseph, even for the past 22 years, lived like that. He recognized that wherever he is, wherever he is in prison, wherever he is, he's there on a mission. God put him in that place. And if God put me here, then God knows what's best for me. God is only good. Source 21, final source. Many people mistakenly believe that only natural cat catastrophes are controlled by God, whereas wicked acts initiated by other people, people with free choice, are not heavenly ordained and are simply bad. The story of Yosef demonstrates the fallacy of this idea. Yes, what the brothers did was wrong, but what happened to Yosef was all part of the divine master plan. It's not just when Sandy hits or Ida or some earthquake. Oh, that's an act of God. Everything that happens to us, even with the help of, of human beings with free choice, is an act of God. Yes, they have to be held accountable. But to us, to the victim, it's part of God's plan. And this is what Joseph teaches us. Joseph was so kind, he repaid his brothers, not with, with um, he didn't punish them, he didn't, he, he, he was their beneficiary, he supported them and their families, and he gave them the best land in Egypt, and so on. He repaid them with kindness, because he recognized that this was an act of God. Here are four lessons from Joseph. Joseph teaches us to be the message, not just deliver a message, but to be the message, to live the message, to lead by example. Taught his brothers to honor their father. Number two, Joseph was successful. He was humble. And he had God frequently on his lips. And thereby he was a vessel for divine success. Joseph was aware, excuse me, of his divine mission no matter where he was. And even those that seemingly were part of a group that, and an authority that did wrong to him, Joseph was sensitive and perceived their increased anguish and asked them, why are your faces fallen? And that small deed ultimately led to a great salvation for him and for all the people around him. And finally, Joseph teaches us that if we have the faith and we have the recognition that whatever happens is from God, we're able to rise above the feelings of anger triggered by treat by those that treat us uh, by making the wrong choices. Nonetheless, we can rise above it, recognizing that everything is from God. And we all we got to do is just try to think what the message is that God has for us. Thank you for joining us for our Lunch and Learn number 147. Join back next week, Tuesday, 12.15, for number 148. What are we going to talk about then? I'm not sure yet. <laughs> We'll find out. Okay, thank you, Gary. If anybody has any questions or comments, feel free to comment below. I'll stay on for another minute or so. <sighs> Joseph.
Yosef, Yosef HaTzadik, the righteous man Joseph. Those are just some of the stories. The Torah teaches us more about Joseph. But Joseph is quite a central figure in the, in the Torah and the Bible. And a very fascinating man. He marries a woman named Osnas. Osnas, which is actually the daughter of, um, or at least the adopted daughter, of his master, his former master and mistress, Potiphar and Zelicha. And he has two sons. One is Menashe, one is Ephraim, who actually joined the 12 tribes. The tribe of Joseph is split into two, Menashe and Ephraim. What a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, le- lessons. Joseph, um, some of the kings of Israel were descendants of Ephraim, of, I believe. Okay, thank you for joining us. Feel free to, or please share this post so others can benefit as well. Um, um, I, ha- I began to collect all of the Lunch and Learns and put them onto a podcast. So once it's all ready, uh, I can share it, but you can just Google Lunch and Learn and my name, and it should come up. It's on, on all the podcast pl- platforms, on Spotify and and so on. You can find all, a recording of all of the, or many of the previous Lunch and Learn lessons with the, with the topic. So just Google again, Lunch and Learn, and my name, and last name, and it should come up. Once it's all ready, I can send out a link. So if you'd like to go back or to previous lessons, even ones from way in the beginning, which are not on Facebook, all in a uh, organized fashion, you can take a look there. Have a wonderful day. And most importantly, let's internalize these messages of Yosef's life.